Welcome to Markitecture, where you can get smart fast with in-depth interviews of leading technology executives. I'm Ari Paparo. I'm joined today by Lou Pascalis, who is the Chief Strategy Officer for Ad Fontes Media. Lou, thank you for being here. All right. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Yeah. So, Lou, you're very well known in the advertising industry with a long career, but recently you've become associated with Ad Fontes, and we want to talk about that because it's an interesting company and also has had some announcement lately. So let's just focus on that. So tell us about Ad Fontes. So Ad Fontes Media, and Ad Fontes is Latin for to the source, is looking to help marketers return to advertising and high-quality news journalism in order to support journalism in our country, which is in the midst of a really difficult period. We see almost weekly now the layoffs, the closures, et cetera, in the space. And we do it in a very scientific way, rating on bias and reliability based on a set of principles using both human raters and AI that allows us to rate 150,000 articles a day in virtually real time. That's awesome. I want to hear more about how it works. To start with, tell us about the company. Is it a for-profit or not-for-profit? So it's a public benefit company, which is sort of in between those two things. It's a you'll-never-get-rich company, but you know we want to make a small profit because our opportunity is really a global one to help news. And right now we're focused in the U.S., English-speaking countries, and Spanish-speaking countries, but we want to expand that remit. Our founder, Vanessa Otero, is a patent attorney by trade. And in the 2016 election, she found her family becoming polarized because of a lot of in- misinformation. And so this started as something to help her family find the center so that they could communicate. Vanessa started the post, what we call the interactive media bias chart on LinkedIn and got a lot of interest and ultimately said, I can do this as a public service. I can find ways for advertisers to pick which news they should advertise in to avoid some of the concerns they seem to to have around brand safety and suitability uh, and restore revenue into news. Just for a piece of context here, in a 15-year period ending in March of 2020, so just the start of the pandemic, we've witnessed an 80, 80% decline in advertiser investments in news which has resulted, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, in a 50% decline in the number of people working in newsrooms in roughly the same period. So just think about that. So you're talking about polarization of news moving towards the center, and then you're also talking about reductions in the advertiser spend on the news. Are those two things correlated or are those two different things? They're not actually correlated in fact, but they are correlated in perception. And that is the entire thing we're trying to take on. So brilliant question. Marketers are increasingly avoiding the news for fear of getting caught up in the culture wars. A lot of this is coming out of corporate communications. And a lot of it started during the you know aftermath of the George Floyd incident and the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. The thesis that people are operating under, which is false, is that the best way to avoid getting caught up in the culture wars is to ensure that our advertising doesn't show up adjacent to a particularly polarizing article. There's very little evidence of that ever happening coming from high quality news. The thing that there's lots of evidence, Ari, is that, you know what? News is still the highest ROAS category you can buy, return on advertising spend. That's predominantly driven by the socioeconomic status of core newsreaders 
who have the highest discretionary income, the most postgraduate degrees in the home, use an iPhone for their day-to-day communications, take you know vacations abroad. All of those factors that, going all the way back to my time at American Express 100 years ago, were indicative of likely to be a good platinum card holder, which is French for likely to spend money on the product you're advertising. <laughs> right. So what we know is news performs well, and then there's this paranoia about advertising news, which is causing advertisers to to walk away from it. We're trying to close that gap and get advertisers back in news. But do you think by classifying the content better, that will enable the advertisers to come back? Well, I actually know it. And we've done a number of case studies. And if you look at the world, as we do, as high quality news, which means minimally biased left or right and highly reliable which means Mm -hmm. fact-based, minimal opinion, lots of facts, interesting things that we rate in our system, which is the ratio of adverbs and adjectives to nouns. (laughs) High ratios of adjectives and adverbs to nouns generally mean there's a lot of opinion content, and it could be ad hominem, which is an attack on the individual. And, you know, we all have family members who've been susceptible to that, but we use a much more sophisticated system which is our content analysis rating tool, which looks at dozens of factors. Our human raters work on individual articles, one left-leaning, one centrist, and one right-leaning on every article. And they come to an agreement on what that article should be rated. That then informs the platform rating. And so we're continuously rating new articles with our human raters so that the platform reader moves. I'll tell you the best example of this that you can sort of visualize. If you think about our platform, our ratings are reliability is on the left axis and bias goes across the top axis. So when Tucker Carlson left Fox News, the rating for Fox News actually moved up considerably, which means it was more reliable. And it moved to the left, which means it was left right leaning. So it's almost like you know celestial bodies in the heavens <laughs> moving around. We're constantly seeing movement, and it's the best way to rate. You can't rate like on an annual audit because the culture is changing constantly, et cetera. So, so probably the the artifact you're describing is probably the thing that most people who've listened to this pod have seen at some point, and it's sort of like an upside down horseshoe where you have the, yeah. lo- the logos of different media companies arranged. From sort of the from as you said on two axes reliability and right left and what what the diagram shows is that as you get closer to the center the reliability goes up that's why it's a horseshoe because you have low reliability on the right and left high reliability in the middle so did you intend for it to come out that way or is it that was just sort of magic well look I got here a year ago Vanessa and her team have been you know working on that for seven years I call it the mustache you call it the horseshoe it's it's sort of a mustache and the farther you get away from your nose the less reliable and the more biased it is it's very intuitive on the left right axis and so the great thing about it is not only is the highly reliable news at the center top of the chart, that's also where the vast majority of inventory in news is. Mm. Those platforms that are more centrist are the lion's share of the inventory out there. And a little known fact that I learned recently from Insider Intelligence is that the number one category in terms of impressions in programmatic media is news. It's 26% of all inventory offered in programmatic 
And yet it's nowhere near that in terms of the uptake in programmatic because so many advertisers are blocking news. Interesting. So let's pressure test your methodology a little bit more. So you have an automated system. You said it analyzes 115,000 articles a day or something like that. 150, yeah. 150. So what was it looking for? Adjectives? What else? How does it work? So you have to understand how it started. For seven and a half years, we only rated using human raters. Mm -hmm. And we rated something like 75,000 articles in that time, roughly 3,000 articles a week, all manually rated. That gave us a corpus of training data for mm -hmm. AI. And Vanessa, our founder, was very adamant that until we got to a confidence interval approaching 95, which is to say that 95% of the time, the AI that was running in parallel in the background was rating the article the same way the human raters were. We wouldn't release it. We crossed that threshold in October of last year. Interesting. And that allowed us to go from 3,000 articles a week to 150,000 articles a day in near real time. And that last part is crucial for programmatic. We rate articles seven minutes after they drop or less. So if you're looking, and if you think about, you know, you know, having been in this business for almost as long as me, news cumes its audience faster than anything else, which is to say the programmatic value of news really manifests in its first day. Right. Because tomorrow there'll be an updated story. So it's important, it's vital if we're going to help news publishers monetize their inventory that we rate as quickly as possible. So, you know, it looks for a variety of things that it's really AI complicated in the sense that there's a lot there that they've learned out of the training data. But, you know, we can look at a number of things that are very intuitive. For example, if it's an article about former President Trump, if the image shows him, you know, golfing where it's just not flattering and it kind of emphasizes his midriff, that is a data point that goes in. They chose an image that was not flattering. This could be something that is biased. But there's no silver bullet. In fact, there's thousands of factors that right. go into it that the AI is able to arbitrate at speed. And now we are auditing our AI to make sure it's consistent with how we would rate it. It's constantly learning. It's learning new things. We look at the comments that are being made, the inflammatory rhetoric. Is it an ad hominem attack, which is another Latin phrase mm -hmm. for of the man? You know, if it says you're ugly and your mom dresses you funny, that's not going to yeah. be a scholarly article, right? So there, there's an awful lot that goes into it, and it's really nuanced, and it's actually quite interesting. Well, so you're kind of begging the question that I wanted to bring up, which is, isn't the center a construct? I mean, ultimately, former President Trump is quite fat, and that's the truth. That's not a, that's not a biased statement. So at what point are the machines creating an average, which is also, you know, self-referential based on sort of the Overton window and what people are willing to talk about. Love this question. Clearly, you've spent some time thinking about this. So that is the gas oil mix that we have assembled. With our raters, we can very quickly get the confirmation bias out of the AI. You know, AI has a lot of governance challenges, as you know, and coming from a financial services category, governance is everything. And so you have to make sure that you're not biasing against protected classes, which is something that Facebook continually fails to do, which is why we couldn't use the Facebook algorithm, right? They don't know how to manage that. We do. And it's not that hard when you've got human raters that are working side by side with the AI. Mm -hmm. It's not that, and that's another great question, it's not that the president, former president, doesn't have a weight problem. He does. 
But if you emphasize that in an image of him where, you know, there's some issue with in the ethos, it's questionable what your intent was. Why not show him in his blue suit and his red tie addressing an audience, which is a more flattering image, versus trying to put your thumb on the scale with an image of him which is reviling to some. And I'm not here to apologize for the man. I didn't vote for him and I don't intend to. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we are eliminating left and right-leaning bias to give audiences and, frankly, publishers a target that they should be looking at where they should be sourcing facts to inform their own opinions. Right. Well, the next time my wife mentions my weight problem, I'm going to tell her she's biased. So let's move on. (laughs) Good for you. Let's move on to targeting since you just brought it up. So a big announcement, I think a week ago, depending on when this reporting airs, that your data is going to be available to advertisers through the trade desk. So tell me about that. Yeah, we've been very fortunate in working with people like Jeff Green and his team at the Trade Desk. They have a natural predilection to support journalism. Mm -hmm. If you go to the Trade Desk site, you'll find a lot about the importance of journalism and the open web. And it's not unique in space, but I definitely think it's a bigger part of their go-to market than any other of the competitors in the space. And so in April of last year, I went out to Ventura to talk to Jeff and say, hey, here's what I'm doing now. And, you know, I've known him for a long time. And he said, I really like what you're doing with Ad Fontes. We've got a big product announcement coming up in June. Let's talk after that. And I was like, okay, great. That's fantastic, right? So in June, he launched Kokai in a, you know, streaming event. And here I am sitting at my computer in my office, aka the guest room, and I'm watching live stream. And I see him, you know, in the launch screen, and I have an image of this to this day that I look at when I'm having a tough day. And it says Walmart, Walgreens, Pubmatic, Ad Fontes Media, and somebody else. And I'm like, he didn't tell me he was doing it. None of his team told me. He just said that, you know, we were a contextual partner in Kokai because we're rating the news and giving you tooling to select which news that you want to advertise in. And, you know, I sent him an email the next day. I said, hey, congratulations. It would have been great to tell my colleagues that had font this media that this was coming. And he's like, well, I wanted to surprise you. <laughs> and so, you know, he did. And, you know, it took a while to work through some of the requirements. They have 40,000 ad calls a second off of the trade desk. We weren't ready for that. We didn't know we needed to support that standard. We had to do some engineering. Their team was incredibly helpful and really put their shoulder to the grindstone. And so we made that announcement last week. And so now you can do a couple of things. The thing I'm most excited about is we know that marketers are going to need to test back into news in order to rationalize it and be able to go to the management team and say, hey, we're going back into news. We're setting up some tests. It's one click simple in the Trade Desk's offering which is called SP500 plus. There's a number of ways you can get into the data and I you know I don't want to be here and try to explain all of them, but there's three different ways that you can leverage our data. SP500 plus being a new one, Kokai being the big announcement last year and then the basic offering. Uh, and you can you know run an AB test. Here's 300 million impressions with news and here's 300 million impressions with not. I bought media for 33 years. Ari, I can tell you any campaign that has news in it will outperform every campaign that doesn't. You heard it here uh, first. It's been true forever. So what's the granularity? It's not just an on-off news, no news, right? No. Is it good news, no. bad news, or you know, what's the sense for that? 
No, there's so there's two levels of granularity. The first one is six custom segments that we built in four that are around what we call brand safe news. So we have a 64 point vertical scale. Don't ask me why. Mm -hmm. Above 40, we consider safe. Mm -hmm. And similarly with reliability left and right. So we built four different segments around that that are inclusion segments and two different pre-built segments that are exclusion segments. Mm -hmm. So for the folks that really don't have the bandwidth to play with the tool, do scenario testing and determine what news will do to drive their business. And I want to come back to that in a moment if I can. You know, that's great. But we also have customization. So let's say I'm an ultra conservative company and I don't want to go to reliability 40. I only want to go to reliability 45. You don't mean conservative politically. You mean conservative as you no, don't. No, no, no. You mean like. No, no, no. On risk averse. Yeah. yeah okay. Risk averse. Thank you for making that point. Thank you for making that's very yeah. important. So yeah, we again we don't care if you're left-leaning, right-leaning, or centrist. We want to give you the best quality news publishers that meet your demands and your risk tolerances. Yeah. So if my risk tolerance is very low, I will raise the floor on reliability from 40 to 45, even to 50. It reduces the amount of inventory there, but there's 500 billion impressions in news that are currently right. largely being ignored by most programmatic buyers. So there's a custom segment that we built in, and then you can further customize to your heart's content if you have the time and bandwidth to do so. Okay, and you use the word safety. You're really using that as the same as bias. Like when you say something safe, you're saying no, no. So great. I'm going to stop complimenting you because I'm going to lose too much time saying great question. So, you know, in 2015, we really saw the dawn of the brand safety movement, and I was fortunate enough to have a boss at Bank of America who said, you better get all over this. And she allowed me to build a team when nobody else had a team. And we did a lot of the early work in brand safety. That Those days had to do with, I don't want to be adjacent to unsavory content on YouTube. I don't want to have bots actually you know, reading 60% of my content. It's morphed a lot. And what we're really talking about, and thank you for the push, is brand suitability. Many companies, again, going back to that George Floyd movement, have said, look, there's a culture war in this country. I don't want to get labeled as part of the quote-unquote woke agenda, which no one can define. I want to just avoid those. Really, uh, Let me just tell you, a really good friend of mine said a couple of weeks ago on a stage, why would I buy news and expose my brand to the risk when I can get the audience elsewhere? And I chased her into the green room of the event, and I said, I won't say her name, but I said, friend, let me come talk to you about this because you can't get the same audience anywhere else. News, news, core news readers are really news junkies and they pretty much spend all day reading or watching news. And so we're trying to show marketers, hey, this audience is unique. It is worth the investment. We can mitigate the brand suitability risk that you think you have with getting caught up in the woke agenda. And we have case studies that actually show that risk does not emanate from core news. Right. So what about MFA, made for advertising? I know that's something you're looking into also. How does your product relate to MFA and what's your general philosophy on MFA? My general philosophy on MFA is MFAs must die. So <laughs> under the – if that's not clear, let me come back to it. But I had the privilege of working very closely with the ANA on the programmatic transparency study and with TAG and the team there. And what we found is that of the 21 participants who – 
participated in the study, and there's a weird number coincidence here, 21% of impressions delivered with 15% of the dollar value went to MFAs. These are sites that if your audience doesn't know, and I'm sure they do because the people who listen to this podcast are people like us who've been in the business forever, they're very high ad to edit ratio. Mm -hmm. They're typically featuring content that is dubious at best. If you perspire a lot, you may be a Martian, you know, and then, you know, people read the content. I would read that. And, you know, you, yeah, I mean, right. So, so, and you see a lot in chum boxes, the bottom of pages where there, you know, these six sort of storylines show up, but here's the thing of the 21 participants in the study, 16 had inclusion lists, lists of sites they wanted to run on. Not one of those 16 inclusion lists had an MFA site on it. The average inclusion list in that study had 6,000 sites on it. The average number of MFAs that marketers in that study ran on were 41,000. So not only were none of the MFA sites on their inclusion list, they opened up 41,000 new potential points of risk. So your money is not working as hard for you. You're creating a bad experience. You can get in trouble in places like California now because in California under CPRA, the marketer is required to perform due diligence on every single vendor with whom they work with. Mm. So there's 41,000 points of liability, right? But here's the most pernicious thing, Ari. Sorry for the long answer. Those MFAs represented such an investment that if you extrapolate it to the entire U.S. programmatic market in 2023, it's $17 billion of advertiser money that's going to sites that they don't want to run on and that create liability for them. And my last point here, which is probably the most important one, is the number one victim of that $17 billion are news publishers. And one thing that MFAs do to win that over is they actually use sophisticated AI to figure out what a major marketer is not running on, figure out their exclusion list, their block list, the words that they're blocking that they don't want to show up. And then they rewrite actual publisher content using AI without those keywords. So now here's the crap, and it is crap, in the programmatic offering at 20 cents on the dollar of what the Washington Post is offering. It's got the same title, but without any of the keywords that that the advertiser is blocking. The programmatic engine automatically takes the crap. $17 billion that could help support journalism in America today. All right. So just a quick clarification to make sure I understood some of the mechanics here. You said there were 6,000 in the include list, but then they showed up on 40,000. So is that saying that the include lists were not working or the resellers or fraud or something? Inclusion lists are something that I relied on heavily at Bank of America. And we actually updated our list every two weeks. The team met, some went in, some came out and they don't work. And I'm really shocked at that, but it's because of secondary and tertiary auctions where they get busted. Mm-hmm. You know probably better than anybody how that works. But let's say MSNBC takes, you know, says I've got three billion impressions at X with against this audience, and I buy them all. Yeah. And in the 30 milliseconds between offer and acceptance, they actually sold a billion to somebody yeah. else. So now they go into a secondary market and say, Hey, I've got somebody at a billion that wants a billion of these impressions. And as willing to pay 25 cents because mm. they're going to take a little money themselves and sell on like a Miss Clairol commercial. 
And so what we need to do, and this is complicated, I'll try to make it simple. Marketers need to demand their log level data. Mm -hmm. They need to hire somebody who understands how log level data works. They need to then set up a system where they do not pay anyone, including MFAs, that is not on their inclusion list. It is a doable thing, but it requires some elbow grease. Mm -hmm. And what will happen is your ad dollars will go 20% farther. So it's a worthwhile round trip for them to do that. I work with a company called Fiducia DLT, which is part of Tag Trustnet, that actually does that for clients. And we're seeing better than 20% gains in efficiency just by applying the log level data. The Achilles heel of that scenario is right now there are contracts in the marketplace in certain places where the log level data is for is forbidden from being shown to the client. And as a client for 33 years, I'd like to take the opportunity to say those people should die too, because it's my freaking money. And if it's my freaking money and I want to see the log level data in the transaction, show me the data or get off out of my business. It's that yeah. simple. All right. So let's go to a quick lightning round. I'll give you a couple of quick questions. You give me quick answers to close this out. Sure. So what's the biggest obstacle to adoption for your product? I would say advertiser tolerance of the risks of advertising and news. All right. Why will I ask this of everyone? So maybe it's not appropriate, but why aren't Google and Amazon and Meta just going to do this? Well, they show no interest in helping to support the news. They continually say that we're a platform, not a publisher, and we don't want to arbitrate what people advertise in or content that we put on our platform. So there's no evidence that they're interested in doing it. Got it. Okay. Last question. If Ad Fontis was an animal, what animal would it be? Jaguar. Why? Because we are hunting for smart advertisers who understand that they're in the business to drive growth through ROAS, and we can help them deliver that. So we're a great hunter. And the other part of that is simply the speed with which we can now work. All right. You heard it here first. Lou Pescalis from AdFontis Media. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Ari. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening. New interviews are added every week at Markitecture.tv and your favorite podcasting app.